This program was first broadcast on Canterbury's access media station, Plains FM, and was made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air. It's time for bookings. Welcome to Bookends with Ruth Todd and Moran Rout. Before Christmas, I had the pleasure of reading an amazing book about alpine plants and uh, the privilege of talking to its author, Emeritus Professor Sir Alan Mark. Above the Tree Line, a nature guide to Alpine New Zealand by Alan F. Mark is described as a legacy publication. Sir Alan is an emeritus professor from the Botany Department of the University of Otago and has been a eminent botanist, plant ecologist and conservationist. He was president of the Forest and Bird Protection Society from 1986 to 1990. He's a fellow of the Royal Society of New Zealand and he was knighted in 2009 for his conservation work. Sir Alan, this book comes from a 2012 field guide, but this is not, this is so much more than a field guide now. Tell me about this new publication. Yes, well, the 2012 book was, as you say, clearly a field guide. Um, it sold out a few years ago, so I was grateful that uh, the publishers, Potton and Burton, decided they would reprint it, and uh, Robbie Burton suggested that this time they would enlarge the size of the book. Uh, there's no more, in fact, there's fewer page numbers, but the pages, are, the paper is so good a quality that it's somewhat thicker than the 2012 version. But the larger format gives scope for much better presentation of the images, and there's over 1,300 coloured images in the book, and, uh, and the book really does justice to them, and after all, I have to admit, the images are really what it makes the book attractive and attracts readers and, uh, and others who might be casually interested in alpine plants to scan the book. And if you open the book and flip through the pages, I think you can't help to be impressed by the general format of the book. Oh, absolutely. Um, I was completely riveted by by the images, which leads you on, of course, to read the text. I was interested in the fact that, in that I'm quoting now, in the 1,000 uh, metres or so between the tree line and the snow line in New Zealand, there is a greater range of alpine vegetation than occurs in most parts of the world. Tell me about yeah. that. That's extraordinary. That's true. We've looked around. The, I've been in several parts of the world, in the tropical high mountains and the uh, temperate high mountains of uh, Europe and uh, and Asia. And uh, we've written a paper on the similarity between the alpine pattern of vegetation in New Zealand and that of the tropical high mountains. Um, where you get, similar to New Zealand, a sort of a, a separation of two major patterns of vegetation. Immediately above the tree line in New Zealand, you strike the big snow tussocks. You know, they can be 
waist high, chest high almost, and uh, they tend to dominate the first 500 metres of the alpine zone along with some shrubs that are relatively large, the snow totras and the dracophyllums and the hebes and so on. But once you get about 500 metres above the tree line, then the tussocks get shorter and they finally give out. And that's a temperature effect, just like the tree line is, uh, which we've demonstrated in Fiordland. And above that 500 metres beyond tree line, you get into what we call the high alpine zone. We call it a tussock-dominated portion, the low alpine zone, the first 500 metres, and then the upper 500 metres, the high alpine zone, where the tussocks give out and you've got a an amazing mix of smaller plants, cushions and small herbs and small shrubs. We call them sub-shrubs. They're only a few centimetres high. And, uh, and quite a variety of vegetation types depending on topography. And as you say, you get up another 500 metres and you strike the permanent snow line where there are one or two alpines that still survive in snow-free patches, patches that are snow-free in the growing season, a few high-altitude ranunculus species and uh, small uh, parahebes and so on. So, um, yeah, it clearly divides. And when we look around the world, the tropical high mountains have a similar pattern to that. But in the temperate mountains, the continental mountains of Europe and Asia, um, once you get above tree line, you're into the dwarf, what they call alpine tundra, which is um, only a few centimetres high. So they don't have those tall, distinctively kiwi and high mountain, tropical high mountain tussocks. And the tussocks in New Zealand, the big genus snow tussocks of Kynacloa, there's about eight of them get above the tree line and uh, they dominate in various parts of the country. I noticed um, as I was looking through the only well one of uh, the Selmesias was called Marchii, um after you. How many yeah. of how many of the plants in this book are actually named after you, Sir Alan? Oh, that's the one. It was only um, one. <laughs> only the one. Yeah. In fact, it's not it's not customary these days to name plants and animals after individuals. But, um, yeah, that was a plant that I found when I did a survey of Mount Aspiring National Park for the National Park Board, the Mount Aspiring National Park Board, in the late 1960s, soon after the park was established. They invited me to do a vegetation survey of the park just to give them a basis for for describing the vegetation for the general public and for monitoring the future changes, any future changes in the vegetation. And this was a plant that I found in a very remote area, halfway up the um, the Arawata Valley in a small tributary called Drake Creek. And uh, uh, very curious, quite local, and... Uh, it had some similarity to a species called Somersia speedini, which occurs in the Air Mountains. And uh, it was, to me, quite distinctive. And uh, so eventually my colleague Bill Lee, one of my ex-students and, uh, and 
uh, David Gibbon, uh, Somerset, some a specialist, recognised it as a separate species and uh, and actually named it after me. <laughs> I, I did found I did find other new species. I found a little ranunculus in the Air Mountains when we were doing a survey there, in the screes there, and it looked very different. And uh, we debated whether it was or not. And and Phil Garnett Jones from Victoria University uh, named that uh, ranunculus scrothalis, the, the scree. Buttercup, which I've called in the book the Air Mountains Buttercup, and there are one or two other plants that I found for the first time with David Given, an interesting Somersia in the Air Mountains, which is a very strange-looking Somersia. And uh, back in the 19 late 50s, we walked up one of the slopes of the Air Mountains, and hey presto, watch this! This is something different, and it's called Somersia philocremna which David Gibbon named. And uh, so I've been associated with a few new finds, but uh, only the one, some of the <laughs> Named said, after you. I thought, after I thought I might find more. The book, of course, um, doesn't just cover plants. It co- covers birds and reptiles and invertebrates as well. Is, yeah, is, well, I man- managed to conscript um, several colleagues, four of them from the botany department and uh, three others from Dunedin and Brian Patrick, who's now moved to Christchurch, um, specialists in their own particular fields who were willing to contribute sections on their specialty from the mosses with John Steele and the um, and the, the fungi with David Olovich and um, and the insects and spiders and um, and lizards and uh, and birds by Rod Morris, who's a specialist in, in bird identification and bird photography so yeah that's a nice feature of the book that it's not just my contribution it's uh, it's a general treatment of the biological features of the alpine zone Sir Alan this reflects years and years of of your um, exploring up in up in the mountains and um it must end end a lifetime devoted to conservation, to make sure that we protect and and um, recognise what we've got. Sure. Do you have fears? You know, with climate change approaching, do you have fears for what is likely to happen? Absolutely, there'll be several aspects associated with climate change. I mean, climate change takes several different forms. And there was a very good editorial in yesterday's Otago Daily Times where people have been trying to ascribe how much more severe particular weather events are with climate change. And there's a suggestion from work in New Zealand that it might be up to 60, 15, 16% uh, more severe and up to 20% more frequent that you get these severe storms or droughts or heavy rainfall, floods, wildfires, and uh, certainly we've recorded temperature rise in New Zealand of about 1.1 degrees Celsius since the, well, since Europeans arrived, really, since the Industrial Revolution began. And um, the climatologists and geographers have certainly identified rising summer snow line of 
significant of about three or four metres per decade. And, uh, and certainly the glaciers have been receding and there's been some detailed work done on the glaciers um, indicating perhaps up to 27% recession over 23 years up to the 19, uh, 2014 and it's continuing. So, you know, we have evidence that global warming is certainly as serious here in New Zealand as it is overseas. But it takes quite a bit of detailed work to establish whether plants and animals are responding to that. There's some suggestion that um, some of the exotic animals, the rats, the opossums and so on, are moving up into, higher up into the alpine zone. But we've got some detailed work in Central Otago on the Air Mount, uh, on the Dunstan Mountains, where a forget-me-not, Myosotis oreophila, is very local. There's, um, it occupies less than half a hectare, and there's about 13 to 22,000 plants in that area that over an eight-year period that we monitored. And uh, some very sharp gradients along the, and up the slope but that hasn't changed at all over the eight years we monitored it. The pattern has remained absolutely stable. But since that, those plants are sitting just a hundred metres or so below the highest point on the range, they would be among the most vulnerable to global warming being forced up the slope and perhaps off the mountain. But at this stage, the very limited amount of information we have from the studies that have been made um, suggests that there hasn't been any obvious response to the plants. So, as I said, some of the exotic animals have moved up, and I'm sure it will happen, but maybe there's a delay there that, um, that we're seeing at present. But I must say, we don't really have much in the way of detailed monitoring in New Zealand that would indicate for us whether there's this change. But we are part of an international program called Gloria, which is a, a global monitoring of um, research in, uh, in alpine environments where there's a set pattern of study where you select a mountain top with the four main aspects, north, south, east and west, and put some detailed quadrats in there, permanently mark them, measure soil temperature and so on. And we have one of them in Fiordland and Mount Burns, at, and that's at a quite a sensitive location just at the lower limit of the, of the high alpine zone where we might expect if there is a response, the high alpine species would retreat, start retreating up slope. That, at this stage, hasn't happened. And the other one is in the top of the Pisa Range in central Otago, which has been conserved from a pastoral farm area um, now for about 10 years. But the modification of the vegetation there through pastoral farming for a century and a half um, has created changes that um, would confuse any response to climate change because um, it's now free of grazing and the plants respond to that relief from sheep and cattle grazing uh, as effectively, as, as markedly perhaps as they would to, to global warming. So to date, our information that we've tried to obtain 
suggests that there is no measurable response, such as they have recorded in the European Alps, where there's been much more detailed work over a much longer period. And there they certainly have described plants migrating upslope at a rate of about one or three metres, one to three metres over a decade. So it's, um, it's a slow response, but where you've got the details and where you've got the length of study, um, there is some evidence for plant response, but we don't have that yet in New Zealand. Well, thank you for all the work that you've done over the years, Sir Alan. This book is a real tribute to your knowledge and your passion and your um, persistence <laughs> in yeah. um, in documenting um, yeah, the well, uh, alpine. Yeah, it's, it's nice to share it with the general public, and I must say the sales look to, look to be encouraging. So it's getting out there, and uh, and hopefully it'll encourage and educate the general public to really appreciate the importance of of that alpine zone, not in terms of just the plants that are there, but the services, it, the ecological services it provides for us in terms of soil conservation and particularly water production. The water off those alpine areas is the maximum we get anywhere on the hillside and, uh, and the, we've worked Research on that has shown that um, where you have the snow tussock cover persisting, um, you maximise the water production from the hillside because the tussocks are extremely efficient in intercepting fog as it's drifting past and a single tussock can pick up half a litre of water an hour that wouldn't otherwise fall to the ground and uh, and we get up to 80% of our measured rainfall uh, available as water yield in quite foggy parts of the alpine zone. So it serves us very well, and we should appreciate the ecological value it provides for us and uh, and conserve it the best we can. Thank you, Sir Alan. The book is called Above the Tree Line, A Nature Guide to Alpine New Zealand by Alan F. Mark, and it's published by Potton and Burton. And join us, Moran Rout and Ruth Todd, next Tuesday on Bookends on Plains FM 96.9.